The landscape of North America's networks is rapidly evolving. New technologies like 5G carry a lot of promise to redefine the way we do business, learn, and connect with one another. But we're not there just yet. From the budget to build, software to secure, and Spectrum to support all use cases regardless of locale, a lot needs to happen before everyone can tap into its fullest potential. Tune in to Nokia today, where we discuss how policymakers, enterprises, and industry leaders are working together to bring today's network capabilities to scale for the future. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nokia Today. I'm Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're discussing the current posture that the government of the United States has taken towards 5G and some of the ways that it can change and improve in the future. And joining us for this conversation is Brian Hendricks. He's the Vice President of Policy and Government Relations for Nokia Americas. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. I'm really excited to get Brian's insight and uh, you know and his expertise on the podcast today. I think it's going to be really informative and educational for everybody. And guiding our conversation today is Marianne Strobel. She is the head of North America Customer Marketing and Communications for Nokia. Marianne, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks, Tyler, and thanks for having us. And and welcome, Brian. I'm I'm really excited that you're here as my guest today. Well, I'm very excited. It's a very interesting, very exciting topic. Super. The focus of U.S. policymakers has recently turned to the position of strength, the non-Chinese suppliers of wireless infrastructure. An emerging view is that trusted suppliers are under pressure and may not be reliable partners for U.S. wireless carriers beyond 5G. This view advocates for policies that will stimulate a new ecosystem of suppliers for the future, an ecosystem involving many U.S.-based companies. But this should not be done as part of a comprehensive policy framework that does not ignore the many steps that can be taken today to strengthen our existing suppliers and U.S. leadership in 5G. So, you know, Brian, you have a very important role for Nokia in Washington, D.C. How would you view the current administration's approach to policy on 5G and beyond? Well, I'd say that a couple of years back, got off to a, a slow start on 5G policy. New administration, there was a focus on a lot of different things. And then a lot of industries, um, marketing and, and hype, pitched this concept of a race to 5G. And the emphasis was on first to deploy, um, which in some respects was was a bit of a mistake. It did put the focus on what policies needed to to be undertaken in order to facilitate deployment in the United States as rapidly as possible. And in that respect, the administration, uh, the FCC, uh, the White House, and and other agencies really did quite an uh, outstanding job. You can point directly at several um, citing reform activities, both um, improving streamlining siting on federal lands, but also streamlining the process for state and local governments to site uh, small cells, of which we will need a a great deal for 5G, Uh, and also on the liberation of a lot of spectrum, which is necessary for 5G, because as as most people listening will know, uh, unlike LTE and, and prior generations, 5G is really an all of the above umbrella for the kind of uh, architecture that we're talking about here with with massive amounts of small cells at street level, we're gonna use a mix of spectrum. Some of it will be real high band millimeter wave spectrum. We didn't have any of that. And so early on in the administration, uh, the FCC was able to, to move multiple bands through auction, get those allocated out to carriers so that those deployments could start. Um, also focusing on 
completing work on uh, the CBRS auction, which is a, a mid-band on a shared basis, which is, was a pretty significant undertaking. We will be having an auction uh, just here in a couple of months uh, of that spectrum. The unlicensed portion of CBRS has, has already been allocated and live since September. And then, of course, there's, there's an additional mid-band um, for for carriers uh, in the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz range, which is now set for auction in December, and then there were also some some unlicensed bands as well. So early on, first couple of years, the focus on domestic deployment, excellent work. Um, then about a year and a half ago, the focus really turned to trustworthiness of the supply chain and the suppliers, and also what was happening uh, internationally in the way of uh, selection of vendors that the U.S. deemed potentially not trustworthy in networks that um, carry a lot of traffic to and from the United States with allied nations. And so that began a, a heavy diplomatic effort uh, to try and come to some consensus on principles for, for what a trustworthy supplier looks like and what mitigation measures might be available in the event that there isn't um, a trustworthy supplier in a network. And then last, the sort of third stage that I would say to the current uh, policy from this administration, very recent, has been focused on, as you said in the opening, there are only a handful of suppliers of this infrastructure left, um, and not all of them are deemed trustworthy. And there's also been a desire to create an industrial base in the United States of suppliers for radio access equipment and, and other uh, equipment that's essential for the network. This has been a piece of the industrial base that has been missing from the United States for some time. And that has led to a lot of consideration about well, how do you do that, right? How do, what are the policies that are necessary to create that? So we got off to a slow start and then we focused on domestic, but I would say they're humming along now. and. Uh, really are, are poised to deliver to Congress here in the next 90 days a comprehensive policy framework for 5G and beyond. So we're very excited about that. So Brian, in your judgment, are there things that the administration and Congress should add to their analysis of what policies are needed? And I mean, specifically in, in, in your words, is the focus in the right place right now? I think a lot of the focus is in the right place, but I think, you know, what we try to discuss with policymakers is what is it that you're ultimately trying to accomplish? If you have concerns about trustworthiness of suppliers um, or that there are too few suppliers, um, what is your ultimate objective? Is it to create uh, new entry? Is it in, in which areas of the business? If your concern is about allied countries adopting untrustworthy suppliers, then you need to take a look at how it is that those suppliers, particularly the Chinese, have, have done so well in penetrating and rolling up market share in, in other markets. And when you do, you realize that there are a number of advantages that, that the Chinese suppliers have in the way of state support for um, their research and development budgets, um, support by having a, a largely controlled home market that allows them to sell domestically at very high volumes and, you know, export their their interests and their influence to, to other regions. And also a tremendous amount of support in the way of structured finance from the Chinese Development Bank. And that really equips those suppliers with a, a range of flexible tools that they can offer to to operators in the way of how much you pay, when you pay, deferred payment terms. And 
those are things that are available, lawful, uh, in the United States and in other Western governments, but they haven't been policy tools that have been widely deployed. So, for example, here in the United States, you have the U.S. Export-Import Bank, and you have the, the newly co- reconstituted uh, Development Finance Corporation, which used to be known as the Overseas Private Investment Corporation. Both have significant amount of money and a charter that would allow them um, to look at, at supporting infrastructure deals in, in other countries. And those clearly align with the U.S. interests of promoting Western supplier uh, market uh, opportunities and stability and strength. And so uh, finding ways to, to get those financing tools available uh, would, be, would be fairly critical. It has been, I think, by, by one count, at least a decade perhaps since the Export-Import Bank of the United States has actually done a telecommunications infrastructure deal. So there's not a lot of familiarity with the market, but there's certainly a lot of opportunity. And many of the other Western export credit agencies like Finvera do play in this space, but it would be an enormous tool to, to bring U.S. Uh, structured financing assistance into play. It would make a range of suppliers uh, U.S. companies, Nokia, the open network companies that I'm sure we're going to talk about shortly, uh, to be more competitive across the wider geography. And it is a scale business. So that would be one thing is to focus on uh, those tools. Then turn back the attention to research and development and realize that one reason that that the Chinese made such an explosive uh, out-of-the-gate move out of 5G was that there was a substantial amount of money placed into uh, research and development support, whereas uh, Western companies were largely privately funded. There was clearly some activity from, from governments, but we have an opportunity as we look at the needs for foundational research in 6G in open and virtualized networks and and beyond applications, analytics, artificial intelligence. There's a lot of opportunities for the United States government to provide research and development support and also um, provide some some tax benefits to incentivize further investment in standardization uh, and contributions to standards. And and those would be things that, that we've been recommending for some time need to be part of a comprehensive 5G and beyond strategy. You said something that piqued my interest, and and there's a lot of buzz out there right now about open networks. What's your thought about you know open networks, and what is Nokia's view on the government policy in this area? You have to go back to sort of what the the genesis of the the interest in in open networks is. It's not, in our view, a new concept. We've been moving towards greater levels of virtualization, which is the use of more software and less hardware in the core in previous generations of technology. There has long been interest from our operator customers in having less hardware. So again, more software and more virtualization. But virtualization doesn't necessarily mean open. Virtualization can still be done in a very proprietary fashion, right? Closed interfaces between the the layers of the radio access network. There is an interest, an understandable interest from operators, particularly in the United States, but not exclusively so, in some more supplier diversity. As I mentioned, and it's no mystery to most, that there are only a handful of companies left that really have the scale to provide the radio access network equipment. And most of those solutions are not open in the sense that the interfaces 
between the the pieces of hardware are proprietary. Um, and some of that is done for performance reasons and as a, as a differentiator, but it makes it more difficult for someone who isn't already in the industry at scale to enter. And clearly operators would like a little bit more supplier diversity, not just for, for price reasons, but you can think as a policymaker might that if there are only a handful of suppliers left, if you ever have further uh, contraction in the market or or one of the suppliers fails, um, then you're really left in a difficult situation where you have only one supplier uh, or or maybe two suppliers other than those that you have designated to be non-trustworthy. So you, you understand that there was this interest coming from, from the carrier side. You understand that from the perspective of the U.S. government and the Trump administration has been thinking about how do we stimulate the U.S. industrial base for technology. They've looked and, and seen what the Chinese have done over the last couple of decades to create a really powerful ecosystem. And not just for security reasons, but for, for economic uh, competitiveness reasons, there's a desire to stimulate the U.S. industrial base in a variety of areas. Artificial intelligence, applications, analytics. Already the U.S. enjoys a tremendous advantage in, in um, silica and, and software. And the opportunity to create the desire to create new players in the uh, telecommunications infrastructure space has been part of that. And the third part, uh, the third sort of influence has been that because we are starting to virtualize more and more in the networks, there are opportunities with a little bit lower barrier to entry for startups, for entities that don't have huge uh, installed bases across the world and because they can enter with less hardware necessary and, and more software focus. So those three things, uh, those three influences sort of came together to create this really powerful push for, for openness. And what I uh, have said for the last couple of months is that while that is understandable, we also had a lot of hype around what that meant and who who believed what about that. And, you know, it, it set up in my mind a situation for policymakers where it was old versus new, right? Like the, the classic uh, incumbent vendors like Nokia wouldn't support open architectures because it was bad for our business uh, and thus policymakers had to choose what is your what is your approach are you going to try and strengthen your existing suppliers and assist them with these tools I mentioned like the structured financing or are you going to bet big on unproven players but with the opportunity to, to grow your industrial base and we came along and said wait a minute this isn't a binary choice right we fully intend to to be big players in a post 5g ecosystem that has a lot more openness to it so stop attributing those views to us that we're we're not open in fact if you look at our heritage in 4g and even before that we've been very forward-leaning in supporting um, the concept of of open networks and we were the first major vendor to join the, the technical ORAN alliance to begin developing standards and specifications to facilitate opening those interfaces. We joined TIP, which is another such forum. And now we've recently become the first major incumbent supplier to join the ORAN policy coalition in Washington. And the reason for that is that we don't oppose openness. As a matter of fact, we, we embrace that concept. We think this is part of the solution. We aren't 
afraid of competition. We think choice makes sense. But our only caution has been that we need to make sure that we have studied the interfaces, that there are, are agreed to standards and specifications to allow for opening those interfaces in, in a fashion that doesn't either diminish performance or security concerns. And that's what these kinds of groups like the ORAN Alliance are to do. And the other thing we've said is a binary choice. So it doesn't mean that you back status quo and your, your existing suppliers or you back ORAN. It means you do both things. In the short run, you can use export um, financing and research and development support and diplomacy to help strengthen your existing suppliers um, and to make sure that they're able to compete fairly across the world. And at the same time, you begin to make very smart, prudent investments in R&D support that are more towards open architectures so that you can facilitate entry and have more diversity of suppliers in the future. So it's not an either or, it's a both. Brian, we know that we're in an election year. And is this openness, is this something that if there was a change in the administration, there would still be this focus? I, I think so, because at the end of the day, you know, it would be a mistake to think that it's understandable why the Trump administration has focused on trying to stimulate the U.S. industrial base. You know, they ran on Make America Great Again. And there's a dimension of that. But I think that would ignore the confluence of other circumstances that I mentioned. The vast amount of virtualization that's already happening in the network that's lowering barriers to entry, that the, a change in, in leadership in the White House doesn't obviate the interest that our customers have in having diversity of suppliers. Diversity gives them in their mind not just choice from a competitiveness perspective, it also provides a sustainability to the supply chain to sort of hedge against the idea that you only have one or two places that you can go. Um, so I don't think that those things go away if the, the occupant of the White House changes, nor would I say do I think that the concerns that the administration has expressed about uh, ensuring fair play for, for Western suppliers across the world would change. Uh, or the concerns about using trusted suppliers. I think that those issues have shown themselves to be quite bipartisan in Washington right now. So I would expect them to be part of a Biden administration as well. Super. We know, Brian, I, I really appreciate your time and your thought on this and your expertise. And to learn more about Nokia's 5G policy, go to nokia.com forward slash North America for more information. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you soon. And everybody, thank you for tuning into this episode of Nokia Today. Of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. But until then, if you subscribe there on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts, all of those podcast outlets have previous episodes of the show. And of course, we'll be updated as we continue to do more podcasts. So stay up to date with everything going on with Nokia. You can also go to that website, nokia.com forward slash North America to get more information there and more podcasts and more literature that you can follow up on and that you can read to stay up to date with everything everything going on in the world of 5G with Nokia. We'll be back soon with more episodes, but until then, I'm Tyler Kern. We'll talk again soon.